0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
1: When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot slash podcast. Easier said. Done.
2: Hello, this is Stuart Wright, the host of BritFlix.com's podcast. Just a quick note to say that there were a couple of technical difficulties recording this podcast. So there is a distinct change in the sound as we change from Skype to phone um, for the recording and uh, even when it's on the phone there are some sort of digital hiccups as it were but I don't think you lose any of the thread of the conversation so hopefully you're able to enjoy so there are intermittent sort of digital gremlins but I think the podcast holds together so enjoy the latest Britflix podcast thank you BritFlix.com podcast. It's the BritFlix.com podcast. Welcome to the BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today we're talking about music in film, and more specifically about acquiring that music for film. Um, and today we've got with us Connie Farr. Hello, Connie. Hello. And what, what's, what would you, how would you describe your sort of job title?
3: So a music supervisor is someone that um, puts music and visual media together, and um, I've been working as a music supervisor for about 10 years, but I predominantly work in film and also trailers, but I have had experience in working with adverts, TV, uh, all across the board, basically, but film and trailers is basically where I, I um, focus most of my work on.
2: Okay, now already you've said something that's interesting to me. There, you've said you do movies and you do trailers. Is that is that is yeah. that by some? Is are they different in some ways? Is, is it? Can you do people sometimes license different music to trailers than would be in the movie?
3: Oh, completely. Okay. You've got a completely different budget for a start. So. Um, the trailer the is obviously the advertising budget for the film. That's okay. what it's the marketing budget for the film.
4: Yeah.
3: So it's a completely different process. Um, so if I start about how I ended up getting into music supervision... Yeah, 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 yeah. I
2: mean, it'd be interesting to know how does somebody become one? So how did you become a music yeah. supervisor?
3: Well, I studied, I studied psychology at uni um, and specialised in psychology of music. And okay. I wanted to actually do music therapy, but... Um, I ran out of funds after doing um, my degree, so ended up interning in post-production and worked alongside editors, helping them fill in all the cue sheets, right, which was an right. absolute mess, because if you sit in um, editing suites, well, it used to be, this is like 15 years ago,
4: yeah.
3: Um, they'd have all the music that would be la- um, labelled things like 001, track 2, uh, you know, not, absolutely no, where I was working anyway, there was no sort of coherent, um, process of how they put it into the cue sheet so I used to have to sit there and try and guess what tracks were and blah 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 so from that that's where I stemmed my interest actually in sort of getting involved on how to clear music and license music obviously I already was interested in the creative side of it yeah. um, and after that there was an advert in, the, in I think Record the Day or something for someone to represent um, a small catalogue which included like, Andrew Weatherall and Two Swordsman Um Music, so I went for that and started working alongside my boss.
4: When
2: you, when you say represent, what do you mean? what do You mean push it, push it to be in music, and yeah, be in which, ads and stuff.
3: Yeah, this was like we're talking about twelve years ago, eleven okay. years ago, where a lot of the independent labels and publishers there wasn't the sync, the sync as it is now wasn't quite as prolific. Mm-hmm. The industry itself. So my job was to sort of represent the catalogue of a few different labels and publishers and go and try and get, get it into adverts, predominantly in the UK, um, TV in the US and film. And um, I was doing it for about a year before I, I became specifically interested in independent film and independent music and sort of trying to bridge the gap between the two, right. trying to make a platform where they both sort of understood each other and where they could um, understand the limitations that both, both industries face. Um, so we started up something called ThinkSync Films, where I used to do um, a short film competition and offer music from my favourite independent labels such as Bella Union and Ninja. Oh wowzer! Um, yeah, we used to offer tracks from their, their their catalogues for free for use in for the purpose of the competition and festival use only. Okay. And and then we used to have a big boat party every year as part of Russia's Film Festival. Um. Under Thames, and we used to get loads of different DJs to come and play, and it was that was my way of meeting lots of different filmmakers. And from there, and that was like ten years ago, I started um, working alongside them independently to so actually music supervise their films um, and shorts and some adverts as well. Um, so that became a branch of Think Sync, it, That actually became ThinkSync Music, which is a company that I run now.
2: Okay, and, um, we'll, and we'll put we'll put in a link in the show notes for people to uh, get to your website.
3: Um, but the trailer side of it, mm-hmm. completely different, um, because I was going over to LA um, fairly regularly to speak to the music supervisors over there, um, because we were pitching catalogue from the UK to the US supervisors, or working alongside, I, I used to do um, in-store, I used to do H&M in-store playlist and then I started doing another in-store playlist for Old Navy with a okay. supervisor. And, um one of the trailer music supervisors over there said she used to work at Ignition, which is one of the big trailer houses in the US, and when they opened the UK office and they were struggling with music, she then put me in touch, and I'm now in-house music supervisor for them here. And it's a completely different, um, completely different experience, actually, music supervising for trailers than you do with film. But um, I think we'll discuss that as we go through the questions, actually.
2: Okay, so so I guess if there's a filmmaker listening now, why does a filmmaker need the use of a music music supervisor?
5: Okay, so clearing music itself, clearing music rights can be an absolute minefield. Um, A lot of artists don't actually own their own rights themselves. Um, They they have a record label that owns the master license, um, the master rights, and they have a publishing company that owns the synchronization license. Um, The synchronization rights, sorry. So each piece of recorded music that you'd like to clear in a film, you need to clear both of those sides, um, the master and the publishing. Um, and in order to do that, it, it becomes quite complex, because if you, as a filmmaker, go straight to the right folders and say, how much will that piece of music cost, much like buying anything, you're going to get the top, top quote um, back, which... This is why I I always try and compare it to a jigsaw. You need need to have a strategy with music in your film. Uh, It's not really a question of, okay, how much is The Rolling Stones? Okay, and then how much is Adele? And then how much is, you know, it'll just add up and up and up and you'll end up with such an astronomical um, music budget that you won't be able to afford any of the music in it. So um, what I usually do is, as a music supervisor, you come on board and you you sit down with the director and the producer and you you go through all of the music in the film, exactly what's most important, what you want to achieve from music, what music they really like, what music they'd like me to actually source and creatively put my input into the film. And my job is, most importantly, they give me the budget. My job is to make all of that work within the budget they've given me. Um, Most important thing I can possibly say, and this is not me trying to get... um, Justify my job, but music supervisors do pay for themselves, 100%, because we've got the relationships with all the rights holders, whether they're independent labels or publishers or majors. We we see these people and deal with them every day, day in, day out. We know how to present the information for the film. We know how to get the best possible deal for the music. Mm. Um, I mean, in most cases, I can, I can pretty much guarantee that I've covered my fee in clearing one or two of the tracks from the wish list, you know, or... You know, we often come up with, a, with an alternative that will actually be a cheaper alternative that will, or could creatively even work better. Um, for example, one of the films I was working on, um, the director was adamant she wanted Gladys Knight, Midnight Train to Georgia, okay. playing on the end credits. And, you know, we just didn't have the money to clear it. And in the end, um, I was looking into Sissy Houston's version, which actually I prefer, to be honest, Okay. And it actually made for a better, and it just it was much cheaper because the master rights weren't as famous. You know, it wasn't such a popular recording as the Gladys Knight version. Therefore, it was actually a little bit cheaper to clear, um, and it actually worked better. So that's just a small example. There's so many different examples I can think of where I come on board as a as a problem solver, basically, without sounding blue sky thinking. But it, you are a problem solver. Um, to offer creative advice and solve any problems and make it all work within the budget.
2: And just for clarity's sake, when you when you say I mean when you say mechanical rights, you mean that basically that a record label has paid for someone to record it, therefore they own what was recorded yeah. there and Sorry. then. Versus... I little bit
5: vague, and what I should have said right at the beginning is on our website on yeah. www. Yeah. we do an incredibly detailed explanation of the difference between the mechanical rights. The recording rights of a track mm. and the publishing, the synchronization, uh, all of that's explained on our website much better than I can possibly do.
2: Is this is this, for example, like like? I mean, I remember seeing, say, the Train Spotting soundtrack, where I think in the film Atomic is by Blondie, but on the soundtrack it's by um, what they, what's you called, Sleeper?
5: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean the. It's, it might not, it obviously doesn't have to have been because it's cheaper, but I often use different recordings of tracks. Not just to keep the cost down, but also because it's more interesting often, because it's a bit more unusual. Mm. Um, but yes, definitely. Um, the other thing that music supervisors are invaluable for is actually locating rights holders. I mean, so many times I've been brought on board because... Um, the directors kind of got a wish list. Um, I remember once, the first film I ever worked on, the director had found a tape with some bangra on it that he'd found at a jumble sale. <laughs> he was absolutely adamant, he wanted it in the film, and it took us three months to locate. I mean, the guy that originally recorded it, who wrote and written it, had died years ago,
4: yeah.
5: and it took us three months of. I mean, it was it was really painful trying to find the right folders, but it's almost like. I have to find it, you know. I could have just said, okay, let's look for something else, but you do, you kind of get a bit obsessed with it in the end. But there's um, there's all sorts of uh, different anecdotes to that, actually. But, yeah, a music supervisor does pay for themselves in the end. I mean, a lot of the time, I get given a list of what the director likes, mm. and then I come up with alternatives that are a bit more realistic within budget.
2: But so you get, so you've so you got the, the, at one extreme, you'll get somebody with a dog, who's, who's dogmatic think- and says, "I want, I want this... And on the other hand, you get you get the list that says this is what I'm looking for in terms of mood and tunes. Yeah, it's
5: really weird, actually. Every single film is completely different. Sometimes they come on board and they're quite really open to ideas from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So they're like, you know, I'll be reading the script alongside. You know, I read the script and i be talking alongside the director and producer about ideas I've got towards the film. I like to I always like to meet and speak to the director and get their sort of taste and their music history and kind of what they're like and what they're into mm. first. So that I can be script with that in mind.
4: Okay. Then I
5: can put my ideas forward. And that's that's the ideal scenario for me. But often I get given a wish list that's quite, you know, quite this is exactly what we want. Um, but if they haven't got the money for it, then they can't have it. So often my job is to sort of make their wish list or get kind of come up with alternatives that are close to the wish list or just open their eyes to other, you know, potential ideas that might work just as well. Um, but like I said, it's a jigsaw thing. So if they wish list and they're absolutely certain they want a specific list of tracks, if you kind of get them to sort of come up with the top three that they absolutely, you know, can't live without and then sort of work out what budget we've got left after we've had to clear those three. yeah. Um but this is, ties in with all about the whole rights, what rights you need because it's, like I said, it's a jigsaw and you, I can't begin music supervision until I've got the whole picture. So I know exactly what's needed and what rights are needed and which tracks do you sort of mean. It's quite complicated. Filmmakers do try and do it themselves. If there's only two or three tracks in your film, then by all means, it, you know, if a producer can sort of find the time to handle, negotiate the whole minefield of rights on their own.
4: Yeah. A lot
5: of the time they can. And if they're confident in doing the paperwork and everything and signing off, then that's not a problem. But often films do have more than
2: two.
4: Of course, that's, yeah,
2: yeah. You know. I mean, uh, um, so, so you, could, you could feasibly come in, at, from the way you described it, you, you could feasibly come on board with the project at pre-production script stage while people are trying to design the film. But equally, you could come on board when everything's shot and somebody says, "This is the music we want. To, we want for the film." Is that kind of? Does, is those, right. those two extremes exist?
5: They're the two. They're exactly the two extremes. Like the first scenario, you said, for example, the film 45 Years" it's um, coming out in August. Yeah. But Andrew, Hayfield, like that film, I was on right at the beginning, uh, script stage. It was just an ideal scenario. Uh, had an amazing wish list of the director, read the um, script, discussed it all. The producer, like. Was, I was right from the beginning so although I read the script, although I start at the script stage and we have lots of conversations it then goes quiet for me obviously for okay. months and months, months but you know I've got it all I've, i actually pre-approved a couple of uh, tracks because if anything's in the script it must be pre-approved obviously there's no point even trying to shoot it unless you've got a pre-approval in place mm. um, when I say pre-approval that's not you can definitely use it that's a sub- sorry I say pre-approval it's subject to approval
2: of
4: course,
5: of course, yeah. So, um, you know, it's just an agreement in principle, basically, uh, of a track being used. Um, and that was, I mean, that's a dream to work on because when it comes to actually the post, the post, we're, we're totally fine because we've got plan Bs and we've got plan Cs and we know what we want and we've already got everything sort of in place. And mm. um, that's the ideal scenario. However, often, more, more often than not, you get people that come to you further down the line. If they come further down the line and they're in, post, and there's a bit of flexibility about what music they want, that's fine too. So, okay, we've got sort of eight, nine cues, and this is what the director quite likes, and the cues, and this is what, you know, what ideas have you got, and you know, then I work out what the budget is. If someone comes to me where they've tried to negotiate themselves, a lot of the time there's actually not much I can do, because it's you can't, once you open a negotiation with a rights holder, you're tied to that. You're tied to what they've told you. I mean, they often will, especially in emails, they'll often forward you email conversations they've had with a producer, you know, eight, nine months prior to me approaching them, saying, actually, the producer came to me eight, nine months ago for this particular film, and this is what we quoted them, and they will stick to the
4: quotes.
5: Oh, wow. I often don't get involved because, or can't get involved, because it's, it's just messy.
2: Well, it sounds as well like there isn't a lot of value you can add, is there? If someone's already <laughs> set, if somebody's already set themselves a price.
5: <laughs> no, no. And that's actually one of the mis, um, misconceptions that she was filming. if you go in first and try and get a deal, and then come to music supervisor, well, it won't. there's nothing I can do. Okay,
4: you know, so, my,
5: so my relationship with the rights holders is incredibly valuable, and I'm not going to. No one's going to belittle that relationship for the sake. You know what I mean? It's just you just have to. That quote that you've been given, and you only get one shot at trying to get a quote or trying trying to approach the rights holders, so you kind of have to be a bit
2: careful. No, that's 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 sailing advice, really. I think it's because uh, there's there's you know, the, uh, y- y- your newbie or inexperienced filmmaker may may think I've got a contact for a another indie band. I'll uh, mm. I want this tune as the opening credits to my show and then they get quoted X X pounds to use it, and they can't afford that, and then they think, I'll go speak to music fans because I've heard they can get it maybe a better deal, and then finding out that, no, you don't. So it's either you do one or the other is what you're saying, aren't you, really?
5: Yeah, you have to... um, Yeah, I'd be incredibly cautious about approaching rights holders because a lot of the time, I think... um, it's It's not the fault of filmmakers, but I think especially with novice filmmakers, they feel that they can go to rights holders and be quite sort of chatty. Well, you know, mm. um, it kind of like, right, I've got this film, and I always try and tell filmmakers, imagine that, you know, you're dealing, especially with the Universal and the, the Majors, you know, they've got piles up to their eyes of license requests coming in on a daily basis because of the size of their catalogue. They haven't got time to sit and discuss the ins and outs, and do you know what I mean? It's, it has to be a bit more professional and formal when you approach your rights holders, you you need to be professional basically, and a music supervisor can do that for you, and saving money in the process. Um, But um, If you are going to approach them yourself, you need to know exactly what you're asking and be quite clear about it, and not go in there, sort of, I guess a lot of the times filmmakers go back and forth, you know, well how much is it for world, okay, what what about world x US, okay, what if I add... It's just, it gets, it, you can actually end up annoying the rights holders and they'll actually just bump it up.
2: I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you've just mentioned a couple there, so there, there are kind, of, there is like a hierarchy of rights, isn't there? So there's, at the very basic level, what would you get rights for just to play at festivals?
4: So it's the,
5: you've got two ends of the spectrum, at one end of the spectrum you've got um, festival rights only for a limited term. It's usually about a year just yeah. for the festivals. Um, this can sometimes be gratis for um, non-commercial, expo- non-commercial exploitation, um, but to be honest with you, because it's always online, there is usually a nominal fee involved um, for that license. And then the other end of the spectrum you've got worldwide all media in perpetuity. And so you've got all those varying degrees in the middle. Um, there's three main sort of variable factors to consider when you're trying to license a piece of music. They are... The media that you require, and that could be TV, film, uh, DVD, uh, online. I mean, it, with films, I always advise that they go for all media because to cover themselves for distributed to cover themselves for future, that all media for a film.
2: Does that does that, that also does that also mean sort of if let's say you, you you look out and get featured on a Channel Four program on a Sunday morning? and the clip of your film is used, and it's got that music in, that's what that rights covers you for? Is that what you're saying? Or is that, is yeah, that...
5: all media will cover you for everything. Okay, okay. Um, then you've got the blanket licence when things are on telly, actually, but that's a different conversation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, that's what I mean, it gets so, so complicated. But um, all media will cover you. You're safe with all media, and I, I always recommend all films to be all media. Um, and then you've got Term, which is one year or in perpetuity. Obviously with films, you need to be in perpetuity because there's no point in licensing your music for, I mean, often actually in in Europe I've noticed you get quotes for ten years but then what happens to your film in ten years' time and you need to renegotiate all the rights. um, I would advise with film, it needs to be in perpetuity. And then the third variable is territory and again with film, I'd I'd advise worldwide you need to cover yourself for all of it really. Um, But there's so many different Ways of approaching it, let like you could do a step deal. So you could you could license all media worldwide in perpetuity for a certain fee, with a bump, that, you know, with a, with a step that goes up when the film reaches a certain amount um, of profit. There's, there's a million different ways of actually approaching it, and that's another reason a music advisor is useful on board because they will actually know the best way to approach it and all we'll, the we'll paperwork and legal. Side of it covered. Um, I mean, it's going sort of, kind
2: of to stop, kind of stop you there. Like, it, do, it does sound like that That the, the, your role is really, it, it can often be when you're looking at budget and the music and the life of a film, actually being able to explain to someone, whether they be novice or experienced, how many ways you can skin this cat yep. really about using yep, this music.
5: Exactly that. Exactly that. I mean, we're on a pretty big film at the moment and it's we, we, we spent quite a substantial amount of time working out all the different ways of approaching the licensing, actually. Okay. It really is quite um, complicated. And once, as a music supervisor, once you have all the information in the film, then you can sort of come up with a few different scenarios of how you can approach it and then work out with the producer exactly which is the best approach for the film. Um, one thing, or well, two things worth mentioning, actually. Firstly, when when you're talking about trailers and TV shows, it's completely different. For example, okay. with trailers, you only go to the rights holders for just the rights you need. For example, <clears throat> um, a trailer we work on some we work on quite big trailers with Ignition and like Dracula and Forty Seven Ronin and, and uh, Man Up, it's the okay. one we're working at the moment. Yeah. You just pick the rights you need. So, for example, it could be two weeks. That, um, two weeks theatrical or three months theatrical and eight weeks TV spots. And you, you have a specific requirement when it comes to a trailer because it's a, the, the marketing of the film. So it's a completely different set of, set of rules with negotiating than it is if you're doing it for a film. Um, films, it's worth noting that if you go to the right holder and say, I'd like to have it for um, UK and Ireland, you um, mm-hmm. For in perpetuity and just uh, theatrical TV and online. Then, if you go back to them and say, OK, I'd like to add in extra territory or something, that will be a more expensive way of doing it than if you just went straight to them and said, worldwide, all media in perp. So, this is all different ways of approaching. Again, it's back to the sort of strategy of it. You need to know out exactly of interest easy. though
2: is that is that quite transparent though this idea of if i buy if i buy four it'll cost me the price of
5: no that's ex- actually that's what i was going to say the top three the top misconception for filmmakers is if there's a rate card there is absolutely no rate card with music whatsoever wow really none and the reason why it's a mindful like um that's the biggest misconception actually in all film is how much would it be for for you know, excluding rest and then how much it's, it's really hard it's hard to explain the
2: Imagine I wanted to license a Calemino Better the Devil I know for a kinda of, kind of funny horror moment and they go, Right, Stuart, you never made a movie, uh, this is how much it's gonna cost. But if I come along and I'm Eli Roth or Tarantino and say I want to use this as part of my main marketing campaign for the movie, blah, 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 where actually there's value added to the song that makes it able to sell. Yes. I'm guessing you get a better deal, even though yes. you're going to use it further and wider.
5: Exactly. Um, when I when I said at the beginning about how you present, when you have a music strategy and how you present the information, that's precisely what I do. You know, you look at who's in the film or the, the value the film has for the music. You know, Coming along and saying, "Oh, because my grandma, you know, this film's all about, you know, sorry, let me start again."
4: <laughs> I quite like
2: your example, there. I... <laughs> I was going to say it's, it's my grandma's <laughs> favourite song. I like that idea. Yeah, please, but but I can imagine that being a naive. I can imagine being a naive approach. This idea of I really need this song because my grandma loves it. I mean, that's 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 the epitome of not professional. But
5: this the thing that I've actually. That actually works sometimes. Oh,
2: really? Okay, I'll say that about them.
5: <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the right holders. It depends on who owns the rights. They. Okay. If you've got, um, I mean, for example, this is my favourite. When I was working on one film, and there was a Chinese track in there, and it was actually the director's mother's favourite song,
4: okay. and
5: um, it's beautiful. It's such a beautiful song. Again, it took months to find out who owns it, and I finally. Located the master rights holders to some guy in Taiwan, and I approached him. And after much deliberation, he said that I could have a fifty quid. Um,
4: <laughs>
5: so it completely depends on you know how you approach it. It completely depends on exactly um, you, you know, who you're going to and how you're going to present the information. But again, if you're t- if you're dealing with majors, then you need to have a different tax. You know, you you sort of. It's a bit more professional, a bit more formal. Um, like I said, you know, they've got piles and piles of license requests. They they just need to get it out the door or, you know, it's not so much to um, and and froing. Yeah. Um, but yes, it, um, how you actually approach the rights holders is imperative to what kind of deal you have. There is no rate card. Um, there's a general rule of thumb with music. I mean, the, this is why when you go to rights holders and you say, I'd like to use... I don't know better the devil you know for my uh, it, my independent film. They'll say the first question they'll ask is what's the film's budget? And the reason that they ask you that is because then they can ballpark quotes what they're gonna you know, they're gonna ballpark what kind of film it is and what kind of quote they should give. You know, if it's a one to two million pound mark, then you know they're looking at you're probably looking at around one or two thousand pounds a size. It might be more, it might be less, that's that's for sort of a mid range indie track, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah.
5: Um, for um I Minogue mean, it would probably be more like 5,000, I don't know, it could be, Who knows, I'm not going to speak on behalf of any of the a <laughs> but there is a, is a rule of thumb, but that rule of thumb is so ridiculously varied.
4: That yeah. you know, I think the
2: important thing here is what you said a, a couple of minutes ago, which is there is no rate card, and there is uh, deals, and the deals are dependent on who you're talking to, how you say it, what you're saying, the context of the film, the budget of the film, and, and they're, they're available, as so I can remember, from this conversation. So if they're this, this conversation, then there are umpteen others that are going to come yes. into play, aren't they?
5: You just put it so much better than how I did, and that's exactly what it is. There is no rate card. It depends on who owns the music, how you present it, what the film's about, the context. I mean, an awful lot of time. I've actually had an awful lot of times
2: Actually,
5: it's only been a three and four times, actually, recently. But the, the artist just says no.
2: I was, just no about to ask that. I was about Again, to ask that. You, you, you've mentioned the rights holders, but we've never—neither n- of us have mentioned the artist. Now, does the artist saying yes or no sort of over overrule all the rights holders in terms of its use? Even though they own the right to the music, the artist has creative control. Still, is that is that true?
5: Often not. I mean, often the publisher, the, the, the rights holders, the person owns it, has the, the most say. But okay. everything is subject to artist approval. Yeah. I mean, that's actually one of the uh, when you, the top three mistakes that filmmakers make that ends up with uncleared music in their film, is when the artist says yes.
2: OK, so my mate's the lead singer in a band, and he said I could yes. use his music.
5: My, my, I mean, that's happened um, so many times, actually, where oh, I know someone in the band and they've said yes. They, they have no legal... They can't sign the contract. The contract's what makes your music cleared in the film, and the contract is with the rights holders, the person who actually owns the music. If the artist owns the music, then yes, they have. It depends on the, it depends on the, the agreement between the artist and the record label and the publisher as well. It's all sorts. I mean, you know, It depends on the, how heavyweight the artist is. It's, again, it's tons of different varying factors of how much creative control they have.
2: If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Before we started the podcast, you you were saying there were five main misconceptions. Yes. Yeah, so if that's two. What are the, the, the main other
5: three? misconceptions are yeah, first number one, absolutely is the rate right card. So when you're approaching a music budget, just be absolutely aware that there's no such thing as a rate card, um, as as we know it. You know, um, you need to approach each different piece separately. Um, the second main misconception is there be a massive promotion for opportunity for the artist to appear in my film.
4: <laughs>
5: <laughs> That's always, uh, it won't a lot of the time. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. That, just You need to not, be, have that attitude. It, it needs to be. And actually, when we used to do Think, Think films about raising awareness for the limitations that both industries face between music and film, I was quite adamant to try and hammer that point home. It's like you know, it's a it's a it's a symbiotic relationship in some in some ways. But you know, when you've got heavyweight artists like Kylie Minogue in a small independent film, you you know, it's not a promotional opportunity for the artist.
2: I, I just I just love that that inverse um, way of asking for a favour by saying. I'm
5: doing you one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, mean, I mean, you only have to type it into Google. There's so many sort of um, discussions going on about, you know, in, in America I was reading the other day about um, artists actually paying to be in TV shows now. Um, it's, yeah, the conversation would go on for ages if we went down that route, but that's one misconception. Uh, the third one is it takes a couple of days to license music. Um, it doesn't. It can take weeks.
2: Um, it can take months, from what you've told me today. It can
5: take months and months. Actually, I would say a rule of thumb is to put aside. Most music can be cleared within eight weeks. I would just just that's another huge problem with films. They come to me and say, okay, we want the music cleared, but it's got to be done by you know, we lock the pitch, we lock uh, in two weeks' time.
2: Yeah, and we got we're, we're premiering at FrightFest. Yeah, weeks. and there's
5: absolutely nothing I can do. I cannot make it go quicker. Um, there's a process, you know, this, the publisher, for example, has to contact the artist for artist approval. They can't just, you know, it, sometimes the artists might have have a deal with them where they can approve on their behalf, but a lot yeah. of the time you have to get artist approval as well. It, you just, you cannot, um, you cannot trust that it will be a couple of days or weeks to license music. You must, must prepare in advance. Um, I think that's one of the main misconceptions. The other one is four, which is one we touched upon, is that a lot of the time I find filmmakers are really confident that the artist is going to say, or the rights holders are going to to say yes. Some artists are specifically interested in the money, so you need a lot of money to clear their music. Some are quite picky about creative, um, you know, how how the music can be used. I wouldn't be overly confident of definitely getting a yes. I mean, I've been often surprised myself when people have said no. Um, And the other one is that people think they can use the track more than once for the same price, and you can't, you really, really can't. Um, Each use is considered separate, and you have to pay the same fee again. Or you can do deals, for example, you know, if one use is two minutes and the second use is 30 seconds, you might be able to come to some sort of arrangement, but
2: just in your head. Do Do you mean within the same film?
5: Yes. Oh, wow, okay. So each piece, if it's used twice, it's two fees. These
2: two sets of fees. Wow. So yes, yeah, so it generally, it genuinely is about use of music in film, isn't it? So it's yeah. not the song. It's when you. What you're saying is it's when and how many times you use it,
5: and the For, duration. And the duration. Well. Sorry, yeah. If you go to, if you go to, but that's another thing when it comes to the rate card. You know, often we've got two and a half minutes of a track in a film, and uh, it will come back at you know, hefty fee. I'll say, well, the duration is quite long, and they'll say, well, maybe if we got it down to a minute, will it half it? It won't half it, but you can. It, it does give you some sort of room for manoeuvre for, yeah. for negotiation. If you say, actually, okay, we're going to cut it down to one minute of that track, there is there is leeway. There, it won't half the fee if you half the duration, but you can certainly bring it down a little bit in some cases. In most cases, actually. Okay. Um. The next thing you said was about the three mistakes, which is kind of similar.
2: Yeah, it's kind of interwoven theme. with this, isn't it? We may have covered it, but is there anything else that? that...
5: <clears throat> yes, the three mistakes. I was I was going to say um, so the top three mistakes for uncleared music in a film. The first one is the one I've already said is that the I knew the artist, they said yes.
4: Yeah.
5: It means nothing. Uh, Two oh. is playing really quietly. Or. Uh, it's it's playing,
2: playing really
4: quietly.
5: <laughs> yeah, I grabbed that load, it's playing really, really quietly. You can hardly hear it. Or um, it's, only a t- it's only playing for about d- 10 seconds. It doesn't matter if it's recognizable, if you can hear it in any way, shape or form, and you know it's... Ha- it, it, you have to
2: license it. Well, what, um, about, what about if somebody is singing the lyrics? Yes. As in, it's there's it's
5: no music, the lyrics, but... I have, to, I have to license it. Now, if you're singing, um, for example, in forty-five years, we've, um, we've got uh the same track being sung, hummed, or whistled, I can't remember what the rent rate in the end is, uh, and then the actual track plays, you have to license each of those pieces. But because if it's sung or if it's whistled or it's hummed, you it's, it's not have to pay for recording rights because you're not um, paying for anyone Yes yeah, so
2: you just you are just interested in talking to the publisher then aren't you? Is that right?
5: Yeah, you're only clearing one one set of rights for each these So for example one track that's been sung, whistled, and then find and to final track being played, you have to clear four sets of the publishing, both of singing, and the track being played, and one set for the recording rights, which is okay. the track being There's another film we're working on right now, actually, where we've got um, a really famous copyright being used repeatedly in it, and we've actually got um, somebody to record a version of it so that we can just do a deal on the publishing Um and then just use our own recording because we've obviously bought the, we paid for the recording, so we can use it as much as we like. Um, there's all different ways of um, going about it, but yeah, that's um, you have to do a deal basically with the publisher if you're using it more than once.
2: Yeah, no, um, no. I mean, that's. I mean, it's funny actually. Cause just thinking about because I never thought about that before. I just thought I always, I always thought it was about use and not single use, and therefore no. you pay for multiple use. And I imagine if you say we're going to use it 17 times, they're yeah, going to they're, they're not going to go around right with this. It's going to cost you this much per use. Look at us, okay? We can do a deal.
5: Absolutely. Um, the other thing, uh, the other thing I was going to say, mistakes unclear music in a film Go on. is "Happy Birthday" and a lot of Christmas songs. Uh, "Happy Birthday" you need to clear the publishing.
2: Um, so if people sing "Happy Birthday" to as the actors, yeah. the actors singing it. Yeah,
4: you have to clear it.
2: This is why I guess. Is this is this why in films you see um, the People singing some ridiculous version of Happy Birthday, which isn't the song. It's like, it's your birthday, let's all celebrate, or whatever they might do. You know, yeah, that's fine. Because then you're just making it up, then, aren't you? Kind of thing. But
5: yeah, because it's only the Happy Birthday to you. It's the tune because um, it was from the two teachers that um, Good morning to you, Good morning to you. They used to sing it to the class, and it was from there they developed into Happy Birthday. And okay, I think okay. I think EMI. I can't remember who owns the publishing now. It was EMI. Um, yes you, I mean you so just what, have to Google what, it what's a few it's been going on for years and years and years back, um, for ages about who knows it and whether it's being cost it right or not but you do at the moment you have to hear it well,
2: one thing that, that we've talked a lot about getting music that's already recorded whereby there's maybe mechanical rights or there's publishing rights or there's both um, does, does the music supervisor get involved with sourcing composers to do a score say
5: it, it, again it depends on the project um, some projects uh, I work on the director, or the producer, those are already, you know, it's all going on, and I have nothing to do with it. And I'm just working on the sa- um, <clears throat> on the source music, nothing to do with the score. But um, often on independent films, I often, um, you know, mostly indie, the, in the low budget stuff. I end up working on both, mm. helping them source a composer, and that's really good fun, actually, um, sort of helping them find the right fit. I mean, usually the director, if it's a director's second or third. So obviously they've worked with people before and they tend to have people they work with often. A lot of the time they want to use, um, you know, artists and bands that want to cut their teeth and score. That's quite an interesting um, area to work in. It completely depends actually. It really depends on the film um, and what kind of music is it. is it. Is it going to be tense? Does it need a lot of score as opposed to recorded tracks? You know, there's so many different variables. Where there's no, no, um, forty-five years actually, there's no composer at all, and <clears throat> it's purely just unrecorded, pre-recorded music.
2: I guess, I guess, with a composer, if you're gonna, if you're gonna pay for someone to record your music out of the production budget, you by ipso facto own the mechanical rights, don't you? Um, yeah. And the publishing rights, if let's, just, I mean, let's say you're a big Marvel movie and you. Doing the score for that, by, by I imagine the producers going to license that music, or want the publishing rights up for that music to come in, so somebody else could be selling the music, wouldn't they? You know. Yes, like,
5: I mean, with an independent, again, this is completely dependent on the deal between the, um, yeah. the, the, sorry, the composer and the film production company.
2: Samsung. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But, but, but I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking in terms of that. you you're, you're, you might want a publishing deal to bring money into your film. You know, you sell the publishing rights, as it were, yes. because. Because you've created the music as part of the film, that kind of, like yeah. like just any other band would, you know, is
4: that yeah. right?
5: Yeah, I mean, um, it, again, it, it completely depends on the agreement between the composer and the film director. Yes, they can. I mean, they'd have to know how to collect all that money owed to them, though. I mean, they'd need an administration. Of course, uh, they'd yeah. need an administrator. Indeed. If so they did keep their own.
2: Now, yeah. now for for the for the kind of low budget filmmakers who maybe aren't necessarily able to pick and choose. What what they want and how long they want it for? What's what's a kind of cost-effective way to go about acquiring music? Where you maybe and let's say you haven't got the budget for even a music supervisor is? Are there places you can go where music is available that you can use? Yes. Sort of. Is the, um, is the, is so the,
5: again, um, without the FAQ sense because it took us about three years to write those FAQs, and yeah, there's, our, there's five of us in our company. Okay. And we all put in uh, – we wrote it together. Okay. So, and it's, again, it's on www.pinksin.com. Yeah, and, and
2: I'll make sure we put the links in the uh, in the yeah, show right, notes. Yeah. It's in the top
5: right. There's, there's a whole thing called A Guide to Budgeting Music and Film. And Brilliant. it kind of covers uh, the all the different scenarios. And what you're um, referring to here is when people need to use library, basically. Ah, uh, okay, uh, okay. So, I actually – a lot of the time, when we're doing strategy for a film, we actually look at um, the overall uses, I and mean, then you think, oh, hang on a minute, what about this scene here, and they're just they're sat in a cafe, and what's the track you've got in here? OK, you've got something that's really quite well-known, and that's going to cost at least sort of four or £5,000. Is there any reason why it needs to be well-known in a cafe? Um, OK, well, maybe not a cafe, because a cafe usually has commercial music onto it, kind of has to be something that's released. But... Um, it's something in a, you know, in a lift or, it's a perfect example, elevator music, you can always use library music, which is so much more cheaper.
4: Mm. Well,
5: it depends on the duration, actually, because library music for an independent film um, is, ten, depending on the budget, I think it's under three million, it's, it's £250 per 30 seconds, I think. Okay. So if it was a two-minute use, you actually, you might be able to find uh, an independent piece of music that would clear for less. So, you I mean, it depends on the duration of the scene but live music is a very cost-efficient way of um, getting music into your film. If it's not, doesn't doesn't have to be a commercially released track.
4: Yeah, and I
2: mean, and I think I think there's the often when people want to, when people are kind of maybe at the first being dogmatic about what they need to have in their film, it's often to do with just knowing the tune as opposed to thinking more about what does the tune have to do. I mean, your example of the lift is perfectly, perfectly. I mean. there's another
5: example actually in a film where the director it was really adamant on specific tracks, and, I, and I, it was a, it was set in a particular time. Yeah. And when we went actually through some of the tracks that he liked, some of them were released after that time. I mean, so, I mean, you have to, the music supervisor is supposed to be there to make for, to check all of those things. You know, would the track actually have existed in this time if it was set in the nineties or yeah, oh, so the
4: eighties? Okay, okay.
5: Is, is that kind of thing to, um, to consider as well? For example, in this particular film, there was something. It was um, set in the summer, and, the, and we looked in the single. It, the track was released in the autumn. You know, you've got to be really careful of those kind of things. And I think that's what music supervisors—that's that's their role—is to come in and say, "Okay, you may love that track, doesn't work in the film because it never existed for them, or um, you know, sat in the cafe. Re- do you really want to use up a quarter of your budget on this track? But you loved it." you like it so much when, you know what I mean? It's just kind of a little bit more realistic stick with the approach
2: to the music stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. One thing I want to ask you, going right back to where you started the conversation, talking about your psychology degree mm-hmm. and you, you sort of making advances into music therapy um, yeah. and and the like. Have you found, how useful have you found that? I mean, and this is this is maybe Massively. preying more on your kind of modesty, really, in terms of, you know, when you start talking to filmmakers about what mood they want to evoke or what they're trying to achieve have you found you're able to sort of be a sort of a collaborative partner in that in that sort of discussion
5: absolutely i think i 100 percent think that it's um useful in in my approach definitely like if, for me the music in a film is all about the, the emotion and the mood it conveys yeah and um i think i like to think that's what i can bring to the table um Other music supervisors may, their strengths may be a completely encyclopedic knowledge of music. Mine's not, each music supervisor's got their sort of strengths. And I definitely think that mine's from having a psychology background and how music's supposed to make you feel and how it complements a scene or what it's bringing to the scene, you know. Think of it as an extra character in the scene, does that make sense? No, it totally is.
2: It totally is an extra character. totally trying to bring it in that
5: way. And also, on another level, I think the psychology helped in how to tackle the negotiation and the, the whole situation, the legal situation, actually. I think it helped in that because, you know, it's trying to understand, you know, go, not going barging in, you know, you've really got to be fair. I like to think that in every negotiation we try and carry out, is I'm always fair, you know, I'm not going to go and try and take the piss, basically.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure.
5: You know, but it, I definitely think it helped with the mood and the, the emotional... Content of the, um, the film—that's that's the kind of angle I go in
2: at. No, no, no. I, I thought I thought you would. Do. I just thought of bringing it up because when you said it, I thought, well, that's that's an interesting point. But I thought I'd, I'd leave it till the end um, before before tackling it because obviously we've we've covered course, a lot. of yeah. ground.
5: The, the other thing is um, that the psychology. I always think of the I always think of music Sing, vision like a triangle. You know, you you meet the director and you have to speak to the director and find out his or her musical background and their tastes and and get a kind of a idea of where they're at, where their head's at with music. Then yeah. the script is the, the second point of the triangle. That's what the story needs to convey, the emotional content of the story and, you know, what kind of mood and the, everything about it. And then the third, quite dry point is the budget. So it's marrying those three points of the triangle is basically what I feel my, my role is.
2: So it's uh, sort of... Um... Almost like a relationship facilitator on a film when it comes to getting the music together, as much yeah. as it is about getting the music and sorting the deals out. Yeah. <laughs> right then. Well, look, it's it's your your name's Connie Fan. You're from Think Sync Music, and we'll put up a link to your website. The one question I like to ask everybody is to recommend me a British movie or two. Uh, do you is there anything that you've got to mind that you want to recommend to the Britflix audience? There was one
5: film I saw at it It's not I just I really would like to see it again, but um it was called Ollie Kepler's Expanding Purple World and I actually spoke to the director about it afterwards and he had some history in psychiatric nursing.
4: Okay. And the
5: film was a really interesting take on mental illness and I I really enjoyed it and I thought that was a film that it just kind of just completely went under the radar. I he mean, had Edward Hogg in it and I quite enjoyed it. Um, when it comes to films I've actually worked on I've I really enjoyed 45 Years it's about to come out and um Thing that was out last year beautiful it was, so, it was really beautiful film um, actually doesn't have that much recording music in it my job I didn't actually do that much on Little I did add a little bit on it but it was just it's just such a lovely film it really is um, but all the films I've really enjoyed all the films i worked on but yes and in terms of films that have kind of been missed. Uh, all deserve a little bit of attention. I, I really enjoyed Oli Kepler's Oli Kepler's exciting purple world.
2: Brilliant, brilliant. Well, look, I think I think it, it, it would if if filmmaker listening to this is is obviously sort of going to be including music. Then I think a good place to start is going to be your FAQs on your website. So that should help paint a picture of, I guess, what type of film they're making, what kind of world they're entering with that film in terms of getting music rights for it, and then. It sounds to me, if in, in the in the best in the best world, it'd be talking to you as a music to someone like you as a music supervisor as early as possible, and also even if it's late, never never having spoken to anybody to do with the music at that point <laughs> would seem like yeah, the, yeah, totally. the two the two kind of cornerstones of advice: either get in early with your music supervisor or talk to nobody and, and just...
5: talk to nobody and a point for us yeah. I mean we do like we are completely open for filmmakers to contact us just for you know, free advice always okay. um, like completely all the details on the website but I often go to film festivals and do talks at different um, all different places actually and encourage filmmakers to just ask me if they've got any questions it's not I don't have a rate card and you know the money's going in the background per hour on advice or anything so it's just
2: I'm happy to talk to anyone really. And I think it sounds—it sounds. I mean, it's like anything. It's like it's like me signing a contract without seeking legal advice. I could get myself in a lot of trouble. But had I gone around it in the right way, I could have avoided that trouble in the future. And I think that music does involve elements of legality and people owning the rights to it. So. If you understand that at the starting point of you wanting to use recorded music, then going about yeah. getting its use in your film should be, as you, I think, you, the words use, you know, it's a, in a professional manner with a way yeah. that sort of with somebody that knows what they're doing, and it does that. That, that could be the music supervisor or somebody who worked on a film who's done it before. But it still has yeah. to be a very pragmatic thing as part of the music, as part of the filmmaking process, not just a kind of bolt on where we go, we'll just put some music on and ask someone's permission. Yeah, yeah,
5: totally. You need to be. You need to be, um, yeah, professional. I think is the is the way to. If you act professionally, people will treat you professionally. You know, they'll treat you with respect. I it think it's quite important not to sort of ham-fistedly try and clear things without actually knowing what you're trying to do or having no strategy to it. I think you need to be, a, you know, music needs to be thought of right at the beginning. And that the earlier you get someone on board to help you with it, the more money you'll you'll eventually save. You'll, I mean, the more. Realistic it is to come
2: within your budget. Yeah, the more cost effective you can make it in terms of how your film ends up. All right, well, look, well, thank you very much for your time, Connie. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly.
0: Thank you.